the grand solar minimum cosmic rays head our ways and cosmic session now heat from the sun when surfaces on the ocean low pressure spiral tetrahedron on the pacific now waves break snow-capped volcanoes live in motion look on the horizon we hope we catching these waves what bodies in Ba'a love all the living love all the ohana sky mountain and ocean no, no clouds in the sky Above all the lie Y'all know what time it is Grab your boys and kids Snow on the mountain Waves in the ocean Aloha, aina, kaimawana Love the life that we live You can see the ER the little for the whole up on the hour, yoke spoil. Yeah, you know, after we beat the battles, pop the back, get on that armor. Yeah, you keep it balanced. You only got one chance to land that yellow van. And that's all we need to feed our entire family. Then we go inside of Malama, all the trees and springs. Come for the living, thanking the every breath. Back in the ocean, surfing with all the children. So remember to always aloha aina. Pick up all your trash and go get it recycled Respect everything, avoid conflict and smile Otherwise you deal with peace, turn psycho and go viral No, no clouds in the sky, above all the lie Y'all know what time it is, grab your boys and kids Snow on the mountain, waves in the ocean Aloha, aina, kaimawana, love the life that we live No, no clouds in the sky, above all the lie Y'all know what time it is Grab your boys and kids, snow on the mountain, waves in the ocean. Aloha, aina, kaimawana, love the life that we live. No, no clouds in the sky, above all the lie, y'all know what time it is. Grab your boys and kids, snow on the mountain, waves in the ocean. Aloha, aina, kaimawana, love the life that we live. Three. Two, one, and we're live with the Microbial Secret Society podcast. We're live on another episode. Thanks, thanks for joining us. So today we have a yeah. special guest calling all the way in from Israel, and uh, his name is Sam Bevins, and he's he's been a good friend of mine and also a student, uh, studied natural farming with me. And uh, so we're happy to have Sam on the show. So why don't you start us off, Sam, uh, with a little bit by introducing yourself. Yeah, for sure. So aloha, everybody. Um, I recently moved from Hawaii out to Actually, where I had the opportunity of doing a little bit of yeah, outside of the city of Tiberias. And I was on a little farm out there and just kind of starting to get the ball rolling with KNF out here. Um, and about after about seven, eight months of doing that, we got an I got an opportunity to go down to the Arava Desert, which is located like way in southern Israel. I'm actually at a kibbutz called Kibbutz Lotan. Um, they gave us an opportunity. They gave me an opportunity to start offering intro to KNF workshops and getting the word out out here through their green apprenticeship program, like a month long permaculture program. And when they heard about KNF, they were really excited and they wanted to plug it in. So basically over the last like month now, we've been getting together programs and like developing uh, permaculture workshops and everything and figuring out how the best way is to tie in KNF with the permaculture community. Because uh, we realize that, you know, the, the permaculturists, that they, um, they're already on a very similar page. But once they are able to be introduced to KNF, from my experience at least so far, they seem to be very excited and it seems to be something that's able to make their general mission, their general goal a little easier. So we've been working on that out here, and so far the results have been pretty amazing in such a short period of time. Um, it seems like the desert is very responsive to KNF. So, yeah, I've been out here doing that in the desert, um, just basically really just trying to set up a nice microbial hub for not only for, of course, the microbes, but for the humans as well, so they can come and uh, be introduced to the KNF world. Okay, so so, and we have a whole set of questions. So, uh, David, do you want to go and t uh, ask Sam one of the first questions? Do I want to ask him one of the questions? Sure. So, how can green natural farming help balance salinity in the soil? 
Yeah, so this was um this was one that was recently brought up to me by one of our friends down in uh, Cairo, or not Cairo, excuse me, in Habiba, which is like about two and a half hours from Cairo, but that's probably going to be the closest place people are able to really reference because it is a small town in Egypt. Um, and basically, they made a very valid point that down here in the desert, um, due to various different reasons, uh, one of the major ones being that a lot of our water is already desalinated water that we're getting, um, as well as the fact that the area itself is very high in salt in general. Um, from what I've heard from a few different people, they said that this entire desert that we're in, this valley, used to actually be under the ocean like very long ago. So that being said, the salt content that's already existing in our soil is pretty high. And then the salt content in a lot of the water sources that people are using for agriculture is also not high in the sense of like you're pouring pure salt water, but it's high in the sense of compared to what you would normally want to use, the, the amount of salinity in the water is incredibly high. Um, I believe the guy said it was about three about 3,000 ppm, um, which is a bit higher than you would really want. Fortunately for the people out here is, they're in the mindset of thinking like, okay, well, we have really salty soil, so what can we grow in this salty soil? So they want to go ahead and they want to grow things like dates and different plants that can handle high salt. But what that ends up doing is that makes it so that way the entire agriculture field out here is basically working with the mindset of the salt level is going to increase. And what happens is where they try this, they eventually get to the point where all they can grow is cotton. And then after that, they can't even grow cotton anymore because the salt is too high and it basically creates a dead piece of land. Um, so out here in the desert, we've been able to do some pretty amazing things as far as like getting things to grow in these climates. Um, but unfortunately, we've realized like this is also a temporary thing right now. Uh, if we don't fix the salt problem, we don't have the solution to figure out of course about how to treat then eventually we're going to get to a point where the the plants that grow aren't going to be very high so that's a little bit of background on the uh the exact situation here um so yeah so i think when i spoke to drake last he gave us a few different options and that was kind of what i wanted to speak with you guys about was um you know more about using uh humic acids to actually be able to make the salt um, more neutral, so to speak. I did a little research. It seems like it actually bonds with it and actually changes um, its ability to interact with the rest of the microbes and with the rest of the environment. So that's, uh, yeah, so if you guys have anywhere to chip in on that, that's pretty much what I've gathered up until this point. So the thread I, I was talking about was the humic acids are used to bind the salts up in, in a in the soil is that is that correct yes that's that's yeah exactly and so did you you research that further yeah i did it was pretty interesting it seems like it's not just limited to salts it also works with um with heavy metals as well and, and what i was saying was there was three types of or three ways to get um humic acid in the soil and one of those being living soil, right? Kind of the end goal. It naturally produces humix, which which absorbs uh, these heavy metals and everything, right? Mm -hmm. So, so, David, have you worked at all with anyone with um, salinity problems? Um, with with salinity problems, just with like. Just with a few cases with people that needed to just alkalize their soil more so, so just fermenting and seawater and then diluting fresh seawater and um, kind of the, the homemade the homemade vinegars. But I, I would imagine that if you're if you're making like IMO piles and you're integrating like worm castings in and you're feeding those humic and fulvic acids to those microbes that is ultimately going to be your inoculant 
Um, you know, after applying that to an area where there aren't any worms or things like that, I'm now seeing areas where worms are coming to, and, and if there's worms in the soil, then their byproducts are, are definitely making those humic and fulvic acids. So I, I would say it's maybe like a worm thing, but but there, like yeah. you said, there's other ways to, to get it. So for the initial amount, the worms are what we were leaning towards. Um, of course, like mixing that with the IMO and creating the living soil. But it's interesting that you're saying that you're thinking of just increasing the amount of humic acid put into IMO, or just using like the same quite like recommended amount. The same recommended amount, but after applying that, like like I would imagine that if you're applying these solutions and feeding them and you're restoring these areas that there's going to be worms that start to come about after a while. And then yeah. that in itself w would be a natural way that like the earth is, is going to generate those um, humic and fulvic acids. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I'm just curious because you yeah, have, as far as the worms showing naturally, I, I mean, I totally agree with you 100%, but the only thing is the level of transition the soil will need to undergo until worms would naturally show up is pretty immense um, because, like, when you when you walk outside of, like, you leave wherever, like, these farms are, you're in, like, open, barren desert where the, the ground is pretty much just sand or rocks. Um, so it's like loaded in minerals. There's a lot of dormant fungi and bacteria, but in order for the worms to show up naturally, I'm thinking it would take a while. So initially we were thinking of setting up like a worm operation where we just are pumping out like ridiculous amounts of worm leachate. Um, but it's, that's the thing. is like something like this type right now, like we're, we're talking about like a concept that like maybe like on like a – on a smaller level or in a greenhouse or like in a, not a greenhouse or in like a home garden or something, it could be like, a, it's amazing. It would be a very, like something that I feel like could be done relatively quickly. But we're also talking about a huge scale right here. So I'm just, that's the only thing I'm thinking is like in order for us to cover the amount of space with IMO and all these things, it's like, it would be pretty different. But, um, but it's definitely, it's definitely an interesting point as far as just using a, uh, is trying to use the humic in the the initial IMO, um, but yeah, I think uh, yeah. So Sam, what what were the three solutions I gave you? I think one of them was the worms, right? And the yeah, other was the soil long term. Mm -hmm. And then the short the shortest term was the coal. So I'm thinking like, of course we're we're working towards setting up the long term living soils. So I think on the farms we can do that pretty easily. Um, but it really depends on how far this ends up being a problem that's impacting, like, the entire region. Um, so it really, I guess, yeah, I guess it depends on how far this goes and, like, how many other farms catch on. Because if we do get to a point where multiple farms are starting to do this, then, yeah, we'll have to take them back to the drying board. But I think for right now, yeah, we can just do the living soil on the one property. So, anyways, as far as that goes, um, so you're saying, okay, so we have like sodium chloride in the in our soil. Now the humics are going to bond with it. Is that going to attract the microbes? Are the microbes going to be attracted now to the humic acid itself, even if it is bonded with the sodium, or do you know? Well, fungus's favorite food is humic and fulvic acid. They they love digesting that, and trees tie it up in themselves with lignin and they like hide it from the fungus so that they can't get at it and that's what you know decomposition of plants is is the especially trees is the lignin and these harder things breaking down so but the the way i was suggesting to get it for for those farms is to buy a tote of the humic and fulvic acid and you can get a tote of it as a co-op and share that around and then people can deal with these salt problems short term with applications you know as they also apply microbes at the same time yeah but yeah uh, so it seems like the the best solution is definitely to run the two like simultaneously or the only solution really especially at the level that we're pumping salt in 
Now, do you think this would be able to keep up with um with like the rate of like of um, of the salt being pumped in? So it's like roughly I'm trying to get like a rough amount of like an idea, but like one date palm, I believe it takes about 1,100 liters of water per day. Um, so we're talking like you know like I mean when you really break it down at per per farm, the the amount of salt they're pumping in is gonna have to be like tens of thousands of gallons like a week if not more um so i'm just wondering like do you think that this method will be able to keep up with um with the amount of salt because like of course the best solution is they just stop pumping salty water into the earth but in the situation of that we're in do you think that this would be something that can keep up Well, so I, I would I want to move on to your next question here, which is the best practices to stimulate currently dormant desert landscapes without using large quantities of water. So you just mentioned a amount of water, and David, I want to ask you about this: How much water do you think they'll need in the desert, along with spraying weekly, and how much? you know, solutions do they need if they're diluting one to a thousand, one to five hundred? Uh, how, how much solutions would they need? Yeah, and how much water do they need to put out there? Like, if you were to spray, I don't know, say say a certain I, I area. I don't know, like, like so say one acre. spraying, like, an, an acre, I would imagine that you would need, like, 25 to 30 gallons to, per week to maintain it and then to initially establish it you would probably what need like three times that amount for two to four weeks probably four weeks if you're in a desert so four so so if you need say just say it's just 25 so say you need three times that for four weeks that's 75 for four weeks and then your remaining would be 25 per per week, which would only be like 100 per every four weeks. So, like, less than like a, it has to be less than like 1,500 gallons per acre per year. Okay. Well, for anybody who's listening in Israel as well, like, one acre is four dunam. And so, Sam, for, for me to mix up a 40-gallon uh, solu maintenance solution, which is all the things I need in natural farming, it takes one liter so of, of the solution mix. So that's, that's four different things combined into what I call a maintenance solution, and I dump one liter in per 40 gallons, and that 40 gallons does more than one acre. Like like David said, it's between twenty five and thirty gallons to acre, but that liter does forty makes forty gallon mix. And I I say that because my it's like a hundred liters, you know, basically, and that's what my tractor sprayer is. So when I go to mix a tractor sprayer, I just dump in a liter of this stuff. Nice. <clears throat> yeah, that that's really awesome. So Basically, it sounds like what you guys are saying, like the water, like the amount of water consumed is already considerably lower. Than oh, well, like yeah, and then another another really important thing would be to, to not forget biochar, but I, I, I feel like, you know, when, when we did that educational tour last year together, Drake, we saw like people that were, and met people that were, you know, dry farming in like northern pacific northwest and you know weren't really watering and i feel like the same is true with uh with uh with the desert i mean i, I mean i can't really speak to it because i don't i'm not really farming there at all i mean yeah it definitely seems like it like the it's really interesting here so far in my experience with monitoring water intake and everything and like how the microbes have worked but it's like since I've gotten my one garden bed um, fully inoculated, just the one in front of my house, it's been really interesting.
interesting watching because I've actually had to remove drip lines because, like, the amount of water that they naturally give to all the properties here is just way too much for, like, the bed that's starting to pool. Um, you know, I'll come home after, like, a super hot, dry day and, like, all the other beds, like, around my house and the other neighbors are, like, are pretty dry and, like, this one is just, like, wet. Um, so it's been really interesting to watch, but that was actually just without biochar. That was literally just some IMO and um, the, the maintenance solution and then, like, you know, some of the other solutions thrown in there. But yeah, I really, I, I really wanted to ask that question just for, um, you know, just for people at home who are listening, because like, I think they need to hear it from other people as well. Um, but it's, well, as far as, huh? well, we've been talking about the maintenance solution. Can you tell folks about what that is? About the maintenance solution? Hello? So yeah, so using, for the maintenance solution, um, Basically, it's, so you're talking about like the using the OHN, BRV, FPJ, yeah? And so I also include structure in it. Oh, you, oh you, okay, cool. So then also in the WCP. So basically, maintenance, huh? Hello? Okay, so yeah, so going into the, the maintenance solution, it's actually a good timing too, because I was talking to someone about this earlier this week. Um, basically, yeah, so the maintenance solution using these different um, different inputs, it allows us to basically go in and give like a general treatment um, every, that's going to basically clean and uh, balance. Um, so for people in Israel, we haven't really gone over this much for any of you out here, but there's OHM, which is Oriental Herbal Nutrients. Um, and the Oriental Herbal Nutrients is great because it works as not only a... <clears throat> excuse me, as not only a digester uh, for different, you know, for things like similar to our, our guts, not only is it a digester for microbes, but it also is a medicine uh, for the microbes and for the plants, and it's great for keeping the plants just general health uh, upkept, as well as keeping our soils pretty well balanced and keeping the microbes active and stimulated. Um, I also noticed from studying the herbs in the OHN, it's actually really amazing because the fact that they all do work around digestion, it also helps to germinate seeds um, and help to stimulate um, plant, like literal plant growth because it allows them to get the things moving through their body faster, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then, yeah, and then of course, FPJ, or the fermented plant juice, uh, general food for your, for your microbes, getting that out there. And then we've got the brown rice vinegar, banana vinegar, if you guys are still using that out there. Um, and yeah, and that helps to go in and actually clean out the channels, and it kind of like unclogs the soil, so you have like buildups and block up, clog it. It also helps with uh, balancing the pH in the soil, which is freaking awesome, uh, especially for me because I use a lot of compost in my soil. So one of the first things I have to do is fix that pH, and I use a lot of the vinegar. <clears throat> also, the water soluble calcium works with pH, totally related, and then the calcium phosphate. Um, I don't usually use calcium phosphate in my maintenance solution, um, but it's interesting to, to think about that. I actually, like most of the times when I have all the solutions, I will actually go use the can of solutions app, um, unless I'm treating an area that's going to have a bunch of different growth stages, which is actually what we were talking about earlier was like, because I was given a question from one of the people here and they were like, well, hey, I have a garden bed and it has plants that are in flower and it has some that are like still just germinating and they're just starting and like some of them look like they're getting ready to fruit and you're like, he was like, what do I do? And I was like, well, you can use the maintenance solution. So does that kind of sum it up for you? What, yeah, what, David, what do you, is that correct and accurate? What do you, what do you think about that? Is that correct and accurate? Um, that he he said that that he typically doesn't utilize water soluble calcium, but um, but um, I I think it's an important solution to include it, you know. But then at the same time, like rule zero, if you don't have it or you you know you're gathering the materials to make it, then um, use what what you have available right then and there. Yeah, we totally used the calcium and the calcium phosphate. Actually, um, that was actually probably one of the everyone's favorites at the workshops. 
But yeah, no, I just don't usually throw it in my maintenance solution. Um, but yeah, but it's still good stuff. I use it all the time. I, I probably wouldn't like store it as like, I don't know. I, I definitely don't store it as like one thing. I store it separate, separately. You mix everything before you, uh, like ahead of time, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I just wouldn't, like, I probably wouldn't put all three, all four of those solutions into a jar and then let them sit and then use yeah. them for like a month or something. I don't know. Yeah, I try to make my mixes, my maintenance solution mix, like, for one month at a time. And um, actually, recently, I've, I haven't, I've been really bad about it. All my shelves and things, there's, I have a whole bunch of um, uh, plant juice that I made from bananas and guavas and all, all kinds of plants. And they're not really labeled that well. Um, and I do have a whole bunch of OHN, but it's up in five-gallon buckets up at my pig pen. And it's in, you know, I have to then mix a one-month supply, which for me is about a half-gallon jar. Uh, for a month, and and I'm spraying uh, 40 gallons. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I'm spraying uh, for 40 gallons a week, at least. I, I'm I'm usually actually spraying about 70 gallons of of solution. And that covers my pig pen area as well as my home home garden area as well as my orchard behind my house. But so, still, like, if you if you were to compare it to like commercial farming, though, that's that's nothing. Like even at seventy a week. Well, so I'm basically using a half gallon jar of maintenance solution a week to do my farm and you can you can look it up can a farm um, and then uh, then I also add into that sometimes more um, the fish amino acid as fuel but I, but I try not to overdo that and then I also add in just straight up calcium to it but I also try not to overdo that those are at um, one to a thousand or one to three thousand, somewhere in those ranges, and and depending on what I'm spraying, um, and then I also usually for that same forty gallons, uh, I add in a gallon and a half of seawater. But in your case, where you're trying, you already say there's seawater already in it. You may just omit that step, but I actually am adding seawater. Yeah, we, we have pretty much stopped adding seawater except for when making, like, if we're doing, like, an IMO, like, uh, we're, like, bubbling it or whatever, making liquid IMO, we'll add in just a little bit of seawater for minerals, but otherwise, uh -huh. yeah, it's pretty much cut out. But that's interesting. Wow. So my, can, yeah. huh? my, my, my thought about it would be to, my intuition would be to continue to use seawater because if, if, at one point in time, like you said, that there's so much minerals and life and that it used to be underwater and, and it has a high concentration. Maybe there's some sort of like, and you said that there's microorganisms that are like kind of hidden or like they're dormant within the, within the rocks and stuff. So I would imagine that like maybe bringing that life of the sea and that like essence to it would like bring some, like maybe reawaken life that like used to be there. See, that's actually a great segue into one of the other questions that I have on it's not the next question but it's like the one after that and because you thought you were talking about the dormant uh, the dormant bacteria and I was talking about uh, the cyanobacteria and if it's possible to actually harvest the solar energy from it and when you're saying like yeah, adding back in the seawater because it used to be underwater so like just a little backstory on like cyanobacteria like I'm, I don't know if you guys are familiar but for anyone who's like listening, uh, cyanobacteria are also what's known as the blue-green algae. Um, it's very similar, or it's one of the only microbes actually that has the ability to photosynthesize also like a plant. And as you were mentioning before, it, it's usually found in the ocean, so it's very interesting. 
it would be interesting to see if you would be able to reactivate those specific bacteria through seawater um, and increasing the content of that. But I feel like that could be a very interesting study in and of itself because this is going into now it's like, is there a way to plug in to bacteria that are photosynthesizing and storing energy? And um, that's a, that was kind of like what I was really interested about. But as far as like the bacteria goes, yeah, and I think including, <clears throat> including the seawater in a certain area to do a test would be really interesting. Um, but yeah, we, as far as like the main amounts we do, we've cut it out of like just adding it into the garden beds, except for like when we add in liquid IMO. But otherwise, it's been it's been pretty much cut down because of the salt content. It's like very high. Like you'll see salt deposits like form on the sand in the middle of the desert. And you're like, what's going on here? You know, it's just like this white patch. It just looks really weird. But and um, there's there's a lot of salt there. So it's like, I think even just adding normal water might still be similar to adding seawater because of the high quantity of salt that's already in the soil. It'll just flush it down when it mixes. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's an interesting idea. Is by reintroducing seawater, especially fermented seawater, which is one of the recipes in uh, Korean natural farming, and then you're growing in the fermentation of the seawater. You're growing the microbes out that will then digest the sea salt. And you just feed them a bit of starch and maybe some KNF food or fermented plant juice and stir that around and the seawater will ferment. Yeah. No, I had a beautiful batch of fermented seawater when I first got here. So that's um that's actually that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like, yeah, I think combining your two ideas and doing the fermented seawater, now that that actually makes a lot of sense because now you're putting the microbes mainly, and um, yeah, I think that would act. That might, yeah. I'm gonna try it. You know, there's only one way to see is to give it a try and see what happens. And adding in fermented seawater and doing some soil tests. Um, we're working on getting like a few different research things together where we'll actually be able to get like soil samples and all that kind of stuff with the lab. Um, there are a lot of research centers around here, so it's very nice we'll be able to get this stuff kind of tested in the desert and get everything clear. But, um, yeah, I'm going to give that a try. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to give that a try. Yeah, so that kind of goes over that question. Um, the next, do you want to keep going to the next question? Or do you have sure, if that sounds good. You're kind of wobbling in and out. You're making sure your connection's good. But, yeah, let's go to the next one if you're ready. Yeah, I think it might just be the service like I haven't I'm pretty I have pretty good mic here, but I can't tell. It's also a very far phone call. But yeah, I'm I am ready. So the next one is high heat and aerobic microbes do less beneficial bacteria thrive when we hit temperatures above hundred and eighteen degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, so can can I can I answer this for you a little bit? Yeah, but I just want to throw one thing in because I know when we're making IMO, you know, we don't want it to get over that point. But I'm just wondering about when it's naturally in the environment because we do get days that will go over that, but that's just like the heat outside. It's not like from the IMO is activating. So that was just wanted to throw that in. But yeah. So to answer your question about the high heat anaerobic, or excuse me, high heat and aerobic microbes, basically the way I, I describe it is there's certain, you can look them up and there's certain temperature profiles where certain types of microbes will proliferate quickest. And what you're trying to do in an, in an IMO pile, like a propagated IMO pile, is you're trying to turn all of that material into microbial bodies. So you're feeding them this, this material, which lately I've been using wood chips and dog food, which isn't ideal. They used to use mill run as yeah. a substrate. 
but but using a, a some some sort of substrate and then trying to feed those microbes and turn that substrate into microbes and what I end up at the end with is pretty all right um, IMO. But it's it's not ideal. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't promulgate that that far and wide. It's it's more of like a a, a a disaster type of situation. There's better substrates to use to turn to make an IMO file. Yeah, I know. Of course, I remember we tried the dog food actually when I was out there. I think that was one of the earlier runs of it. Um, but yeah, it worked. I remember it heated up. It was it was good. It had, a, it had a different smell for like the first day or so, but it seemed like it balances out towards the end. Like a, a lot for the microbes to digest, I'm guessing. <laughs> well, so what what happens at higher higher temperatures is just like it's when it's uncomfortable for you, it's un it's uncomfortable for the the microbes, and and the ones you're wanting are are in this cooler layer that would be right under the soil. You know where even though they are in the desert, they're they're um, you know it's substantially cooler just just a little bit under the sand. You know especially if there's organic matter or some sort of shade, what you know whatsoever. And these are the microbes you're trying to grow. Are these ones that proliferate and um, get into the you know the desert subsoil and reach for the water and um, you know, get into uh, biochar that you spread, and and then I I'm a huge fan of also um, pile tech. I have you, I don't know if you heard me talk about it in previous episodes. I don't think so. No. So so it's where we you instead of spreading out mulch, you just make these huge piles, and so in in the case there where there's like say an olive grove. Instead of going and trying to mulch everything and be like, oh, what am I going to do? Just chip a bunch of wood or get some green waste, whatever you're going to do, and make these big piles and then dump the microbe solution from drums of water into these big piles in your olive orchard. So do you, can, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I see what you're saying. I'm just curious to hear where you keep, keep going. Yeah, it sounds interesting. And you just create like and you create big like microbial hubs in the middle of your orchard, basically, and then it'll just spread out. Is that kind of the gist of it, or is it to break down the other stuff? Well, that's that's respecting the way the fungus wants to grow. Is is from these big hubs where the if you reach into a pile of wood chips, you'll always find it's moist. Yeah. What what is, so now you've created an instant reservoir. Okay, I see. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Out here, yeah, the perma they do like these things called hugel mounds out here also, but it's not with mulch. But, um, that's what we actually did, like, up north. We created garden beds basically out of mulch and then dug in, or not out of mulch, out of wood chips, and then dug into them and filled them with compost and then just inoculated everything. And then it ended up becoming just this big, like, I don't know how to really explain it. Like the wood chips, like wouldn't move. They were all held together with mycelium, and then like the compost that we filled in just all turned into like really nice soil, and like the plants were fine. Um, so yeah, no, I totally see what you mean. It it definitely works a lot using the wood chips for sure. Just in the orchard, because yeah, that was actually something I was kind of thinking about too when I came out to your one of your classes before I moved to Israel, and. Um, that concept of like if you were to create a hub in an area and supply that hub with like the resources it needs to survive, would you be able to encourage the microbes to leave that area by like spraying food and like a ring around it and like hypothetically kind of create like a ripple effect of microbes like leaving this spot and like transition into the other areas. But um, it sounds kind of like that's a similar concept though. You're creating these like reservoirs and like microbial hubs, and then it kind of spreads around. The water also helps the plants, so not even just the microbes, but also just the water in general as well. That's kind of sum it up. Pile tech. Yeah. 
So that kind of sums up what you were getting at with that, though, yeah? Yeah, David, do you have experience with Piletech? Do I have any experience with Piletech? Uh, I, I feel like it's kind of morphing into, like, Mountech, kind of like, like, Pyramid Tech, kind of like, Heiau Tech, Alter Tech. Um, yeah. What what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to bring the like, yeah, trying um, bring together like rocks, and and Drake's helped me a lot with this. Um, but just like making big mounds of rocks and like having them be like these these big altar kind of like pyramid like places that are in the center of like four three fruit trees and then having that be just like a mound where you you put green waste or mulch or any plant material and it just becomes this big mound that you just drench and it just feeds everything around in the surrounding area yeah so it, so it seems like it's just creating that microbial center Actually, um, the concept in nature sounds very similar to like what would happen is like when a tree falls in the forest. And you were saying that was just that's kind of what I was saying is like how does this happen in nature? It's like when a tree falls, it's like basically putting a giant pile that's going to attract a lot of different microbes, a lot of different creatures to move in. Um, but yeah, it creates like a, an environment or ecosystem. That's really interesting. So yeah, doing that in orchards and I feel like out in spaces would be something which would be another really cool test. As far as the, the heats go though, and like the temperatures, the thing I was wondering is like, so you're saying underneath that first like little layer of soil, it's going to get a lot cooler. So it seems like if anything, in a desert, in a place where it's going to get very hot outside, at this point, the microbes that are going to survive it have probably already become the dominant microbes. Um, and that would be my guess on that one. So, my, so pretty much the microbes here probably are already adapted to handle these heat. Because like when we're doing it in an IMO pile, that's a lot more of a sensitive environment. But when it's out in like the entire desert and there's already microbes in life, I'm thinking that at this point it must have already adapted. So there's probably really not too much to worry about that one as far as like on days when we do get like 120, 125 degrees and we're cooking the like hopefully the microbes know how to handle it. I mean, they must, because if they didn't, things would die every summer, yet there's still plants and trees that survive through the summer. So that answers that question. I guess nature nature strikes again. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that, that's what I'm interested in about the piles. So definitely check it out. So the next one is more of like actually harvesting energy from these microbes. And this is something we've been really interested in for a while, um, and especially the cyanobacteria, because they work like little photosynthesizers. So it's like, is, is there a way to possibly plug in to this microbial energy? Um, and of course, this is more conceptual. This isn't something I'm thinking of like, you know, we're going to do right now, but this is a great place to talk about these awesome conceptual things that could become very possible. So I figure if, uh, if that's something you're interested in going over a little bit, um, I'm really curious about capturing, or not capturing, but heart, like use, utilizing the microbes energy as well. And not necessarily in, in your farm, but more so in a place like your pig pen or your cow farm, or perhaps in a cyanobacteria pit, if you were growing a bunch of this bacteria. Um, have you guys ever thought about this before? Well, with the with the cyanobacteria thing, like the algae, like that, that's just like is starting to grow where 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 I'm at now, and kind of some of the like some of the like places where the water kind of holds like water in it, in it or like water kind of runs through it when it rains heavily and in some of the spots that are deeper and and they still hold water there, there are those there are some of those like algae 
Yeah, no, they pop up all over the place. I'm sure, yeah, Hawaii would, would definitely have a good amount. I'm, I'm guessing in Pune especially, um, just because of the climate there and with all the ponds and everything you guys have. But, yeah, no, um, I'm just interested if any of you guys have thought about it or if you've heard anybody talking about that because, you know, I feel like that's something that's going to come up eventually down the road of Canada. And I'm wondering if it has already, but it sounds like it might not have yet, so... Well, well, it's funny you you mentioned that because uh, I I happen to have a whole archive of KNF and uh, it's definitely in the pure KNF lineage is to use cyanobacteria. It's, it's so it's not in it's not in the nine core solutions because it's not something that's super vital and like that way, but it is part of the you know other parts of KNF. And if you look back at my videos where I go to a training center in Goksung County, Korea, and these are on YouTube at knfvideo.com, and those videos show where the cyanobacteria is being cultivated in this kind of uh, anaerobic condition, actually, I believe, right? and they bubble it in this bag and it's super blue green algae that they're creating and we i for me it's easier just to go to the health food store and purchase a um inoc like a thing of inoculum of super blue green algae and then throw that into my compost tea my my vortex brewer um that I then mix the blue-green algae with. So, so cyanobacteria, I believe, if it is super blue-green algae, it is in Korean natural farming, and it is in Goksung, and you can see those um, things there. So, it, so it's just not it's just not part of the nine because you gotta start somewhere. Uh, so, does that does that clarify a little bit of that? Kind of. Um, that kind of that, that's interesting as far as it's already part of the KNF inputs, but I'm just thinking of like the actual energy. Like so the fact is like, okay, so if these cyanobacteria are photosynthesizing and they're pulling energy from the sun, where is that energy going? And is there a way to actually tap into that? Because you know, in a small if you take one little cyanobacteria and you try to tap into that energy, that's gonna probably not be enough to even like get a little like red light to light up but if you were to go and take billions and probably not even like, hundreds of billions of cyanobacteria that is spread out across you know say five acres of um of just raw desert is there a way to actually tap into that and turn that into a solar panel our, um, our like, basically, is there a way to create to use the cyanobacteria to actually create an algae or like an organic solar panel? I guess is more of the, the specific question. Are, are you aware of the great oxygenation event? Like what's going on in the oceans already? Like what's that? There's a there's a period in time in history you can look back that the the Earth used to be anaerobic then all of a sudden something happened and cyanobacteria took off and turned the whole atmosphere to be oxygenated. And then the, everything that was anaerobic died and it was from cyanobacteria. So when you're saying, is there a way to harvest its energy? Man, we are. We're breathing its oxygen that it produces every day. Like it is a powerhouse producing. So we burn it in all of our engines like it produces oxygen and it's all over that's that's what it does and you can that's why it's cool to throw super blue green algae into your compost tea because it'll produce oxygen in the water as it photosynthesizes and as it metabolizes with other enzymes and other microbes very interesting cool right on that's a uh, that's pretty interesting so yeah so we'll definitely uh Figure it out because if there's already, I mean, there's already so much of it in the soil, so it'd be interesting to see if we can actually just extract it. Or, I mean, we're already probably getting loads of it naturally um, when we're collecting different types of like 
I mean, just with an input in general, because it's just all over the place. Like anything sand gets into is going to have it in it, and when you're in a desert, sand gets into a lot of things. So I'm guessing that it's yeah, that's probably mixed in. Um, so cool. That's that's interesting. You know. Um, and the next one is actually kind of similar topic, and it's about thermal energy from the IMOs themselves, and that uh, that one I think might be a little more practical for like day user, um, because hypothetically there would be a possibility of you know plugging in thermal energy to your no smell cow pin, and now you can power your your farm basically from that pin hypothetically if it produces enough thermal energy. Um, and that would, I think that's another one, but, uh, but again, another, another big topic, so, so yeah, maybe we'll keep moving on these, because it seems like the energy topic might be, yeah, we'll keep moving. Cool, so, breaking down rocks and sand, um, this one is just one I, I just like to talk about, um, it's not really a question per se I have, but just something that out here in the desert is really crucial. So I figured, like, for the sake of anybody listening at home, it would be good that we do mention or talk about, you know, the microbes themselves and, like, how they're actually breaking down the rocks and breaking down the sand. Um, I know that David has been doing a lot of work with this, so I figure while well, we've got him on the on the podcast and we have people who are probably going to be tuning in that are really interested in this, maybe we can take some time, you know, microbes and their interaction with rocks and the awesome things they can do with them. Yeah, so you want to talk about rocks? Yeah, and then um, just really like the, the microbes' relationships with rocks, because again, like, I've, I've Talking to a lot of people out here about the sand, how we can break down the rocks, and like how in a desert, minerals that are just all locked up, how that can become like a really major thing, and how it can become very, very beneficial for them. I've already seen like underneath my uh, my garden beds here, if you dig down to where the sand level is, because um, I covered it with like potting soil and compost and things like that. But when you get down to where the actual sand is. It's really interesting because it's already gone from this like beige, like really loose scent to now it's like pretty much all gray, like kind of similar to when you get that that gray rock dust in Hawaii, um, but it's also like compact, like it's not it's not loose anymore. It's like pretty nice and tight, and it's holding in a lot of water, and it has like this nice gray like rock mineral color basically. Um, but I just wanted to go over that more, just kind of if you could just kind of go over in like a like a nutshell about about rocks and microbes and just how microbes can work with minerals and things like that. And yeah. So yeah, rocks and microbes. Um, what what I've observed through nature and through practicing with the IMOs is that the the microbes will actually eat the lava rocks and they'll turn it into soil and. And I imagine that it works with all types of rocks. Um, and where you do like a micro pile, it's kind of like creating like a ceremony, like a fungal ceremony of reactivating the life. And it opens up like almost like a portal or like a realm and a connection to the earth below. And where, or if you, if you do a pile over rocks, like a rocky area, those rocks after you do one, like just one stage of it are going to start to like loosen up and you'll feel like a fungal pad beneath the earth. And then eventually the rocks will like all start to come really loose and they'll just like kind of really want to just come, come right out. And, and, and what I've observed through applying the natural farming solutions on rock, like rocky areas and planting into them is that after you drench long enough and the microorganisms start to penetrate the earth, um, the mycelium network will extend for like several feet, like, um, on like of rock. 
and then you'll just pe- keep on picking up rocks and they'll be covered in mycelium. And then in between each layer where the rocks are, are kind of touching, it will create new soil and there's, yeah, tons of new soil. Um, so I, I just think like the rock, like I think Drake described like the rocks being kind of like fertilizers or something like that. And they're just full of nutrients and all these minerals, and I, I feel like the the they they can allow that to become bioavailable to the to the life in the soil. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, it still it still blows my mind to be honest. Every time, like I've I've only had the opportunity of doing a one pile in Israel, one IMO four pile, where we actually were able to add in the rocks and see this happen. But it's just cool hearing it from someone who's doing this like over and over who like, you know, like it's pretty amazing to hear that. Cause yeah, where do we really like, when it comes to the doing IMO and using it to break down the rock, like I feel like we've just scratched the surface here. Um, so it'll be really interesting to start doing these tests because similar to you, like you have like this big like sheet level of like or the sheet lava um, that just is covering around like all over in Pune. Um, but out here it's a little different. Like we don't have sheet lava, but we have just like deep, deep, deep sand and rocks. Like and it's just like it's kind of, it's very similar um, in like concept. Like it's totally a different format but it's still the same idea of our ground is just a bunch of minerals that are just still locked up um, and condensed so it's just amazing to, to hear that you know like with CANF and with like the solutions that we're using that are all relatively simple to make like of course they take some practice but considering the fact that with the amount of practice required to do it and the amount of things we can do it it's just it never ceases to blow my mind like you know, I feel like if I were to come up with someone like who had no idea about KNF and were just to say, hey, like I can show you how to break down rocks and minerals, um, they would probably think this is going to be something that's going to include like a lab space and like complex like science and like be really something that you need to do like that's going to cost you like hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever, you know, like that kind of setup. Like it needs to be very like, like intense, but it's absolutely amazing. Um, nature has given us these tools and like works in ways like it does it, it just never ceases to amaze me well my so my garden I'm out in Hamakua and I have deep soil but it what it is is it's old ash flow from Mauna Kea so this ash uh, is, is a couple million years old and it rains a lot here so it's been stripped of most minerals just through natural processes and if i get rocks from david's place which is nice fresh puna rock and i bring them out to my hamakua soils which are these and i and i place them here the microbes immediately come under where the stones are placed I get these immense mycelial webs where they're reaching up into these stones because the stones are always moist. They always hold water. And so if you stack these stones up, they create these like water reservoirs where the mycelia can store water and, um, you know, transpire. And actually they somehow use the rocks to pull the water out of the air. And so by strategically placing them and placing piles in the right places, you can actually do um, almost like air aeroponics out of the air using using mycelia and living soil systems and biochar and um, and just stacking rocks strategically to create shady spots and create um, moisture traps and these t- moisture towers. It's it's you know it's ancient science. Yeah, I think David actually mentioned something to me about this like way back about you know how the old Hawaiians used to do similar practices. Um, it's yeah no that's absolutely fascinating and that that's the kind of thing right there that like in a climate that we're in here like in a desert like those kinds of things become revolutionary because like you know like as much as um as much as we are tapped into like on grid. So we do get water pumped out 
here and like you know you have that situation of like there's this illusion of you know there's so much water in the desert and you know we've got we've got this great situation going here but when you really look into it you realize like how incredibly temporary it is if we don't make changes now to really boost this infrastructure um so that being said things like this are amazing because yeah putting in rock uh rock reservoirs in order for the microbes to hold in the moisture as well as to be able to create these hubs like you know we have an abundance of rocks um, we can create imo relatively easy enough well that's it for our free episode so join us at www.microbialsecret.org for the full episode and join the microbial secret society so uh, may the beneficial microbes be with you aloha